Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate His love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, listen, we are in the midst of a term two preaching series. This is a response to a couple of things, but first is that we had Nick Reske visit us again at the start of the year and he brought a word to us uh, on basically the importance of mentoring, of discipling, of becoming like Jesus. He said for so long, uh, church life has focused on making, discipling people to do good at ministry uh, rather than helping people to do good at life. Actually, all of life, we're becoming like Jesus, we're becoming good at doing life well, come on. And so uh, we thought we'd grab that line and massage that in over term two. And what better book to use to do that then is the book of Proverbs. We started on Mother's Day uh, at the end of the book where the Queen Mother shares her wisdom in Proverbs 31. We then, the second week, went back to the beginning uh, where we see the context of the book of Proverbs, a father and a mother writing wisdom to their son. And so we shared four pieces of advice there in Proverbs 1. I'd asked our preaching team to essentially read through Proverbs and to see what it was that grabbed a hold of them, this term. So Malcolm brought a word on living according to healthy scales, healthy balance. And Leanne last week, a message, you know, I've been in church all my life. I've heard hundreds, if not thousands of men. I've never heard anyone preach on the instincts of the ant and the rock high axe, the locust and the lizard. I, that was a first for me. I just, that's, uh, some of you, maybe you're well versed in that verse, but yes, there it is at the end of Proverbs. And so I'm actually going to take inspiration from Leanne I'm not going to choose four peculiar animals in the book of Proverbs, but I'm going to preach on something that I never ever have before. And I'm not sure I've ever heard anyone speak on before either and so if I'm a little awkward please forgive me let's start on familiar territory back in the start of the year in January our first guest for the year was Dr Barry Chant or Dr Barry Chant depending on where you're from okay and he brought a word uh, simply called dress your best I can see some of you have taken that advice today dress your best and he took this message title from this well-known passage, beautiful passage in Colossians chapter 3, simply says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, as people who are holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with certain things. Clothe yourself with compassion, with humility and kindness, with gentleness and with patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. In fact, what you should do is forgive as our Lord has forgiven you. And over all these virtues, I want you to put on one particular virtue, put on love, because that will bind them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, because as members of one body, you were called to peace. And so be thankful. Um, so many great words. In a sense, you could say there are six virtues here, encouraging us to put six items of clothes on, but wrapped up in a seventh. Six, but wrapped up in a seventh called love. Uh, you could even add to that at the end, peace and forgiveness and thankfulness. These other virtues are kind of added on there as he goes. These are great words, they're familiar to us, uh, and for good reason. They are, this passage is what inspired Danny Silk 
to write a book called Keep Your Love On, a book about relationships. Just keep your love on. God's given you love. Keep it on. Don't take love off, okay? Keep your love on. It reminds me of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. There's a bit of a literary device, and so academics or preachers uh, debate about this, but the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is not called the fruits of the Spirit. It's called the fruit, singular. And the way the Greek is written, apparently, for those who read Greek, I don't know, it's all Greek to me. Um, The fruit of the Spirit, basically what he's saying is the fruit of the Spirit is love, which means joy, peace, patience, kindness, temperance, self-control, blah, 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 blah. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. So it's not actually nine fruits, plural. It's one fruit with eight sort of outworkings. And so it's a little bit like we see in Colossians. Dress yourselves in these six things. But you know what it actually is in one piece of clothing? In the onesie? The onesie that binds it all together, okay, is love. That's basically what I'm saying. I'm just saying love. Get to the point. Why say six things when you can say one? Uh, Good tip for you, Chad. Okay, so basically this is the sort of literary device. And these virtues are well encouraged in the Christian community, and so they should be. They, on a very practical level, they do good. They can be harnessed to stir us to practical good things that produce good things in the earth. Uh, And on a theological level, they're not just practically good, but theologically, these virtues represent God's name and nature. And so there's also not just helpful things, they are holy things, these virtues. And so it is a good thing for us to remind ourselves of these. Well, this morning, I want to encourage you to embrace, embrace another godly virtue that's not mentioned all that often in churches like ours, at least. It is a virtue that on a theological level plays a part in representing something of God's nature. And so it is a holy thing. It can be a holy thing. It is a virtue that also can be harnessed for something that is helpful, like these other virtues. So something that is useful, it is something that can represent God today as part of doing life well, I want to encourage you to hate. Hi visitors, welcome to church. Uh, Great. I'm so glad you came today. I want to encourage you to hate. Proverbs chapter 6. Here we go. Book of Proverbs, that's what we're doing. And I'm going to read from verse 16. There are six things the Lord hates. Seven that are detestable to him. I wonder if we had a survey right now, maybe a bit of a quiz, put our, uh, put our money on. What is he about to list? If there's six things that God hates, if you want to imagine a, a placard, for example, holding up someone holding up a sign that says God hates something, what would those six things be? What would it be truthful to say that God hates? Come back next week and we'll find out. Where are we? Oh, someone turned my page. There are six things the Lord hates. There are seven that are detestable to him. This again is part of that literary device of saying, saying six things but then saying one that kind of adds together. Okay, whatever. We'll talk about that over lunch. Here we go. Haughty eyes. 
a lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. A false witness who pours out lies and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Six things that the Lord hates. Well, hates is a bit of a harsh word, so what I thought I'd do is go to a translation or a different Bibles that have a reputation for softening things a bit. Okay, so let's, let's do that. There's a different types of Bible, as, as uh, said to you before, your regular reading version or regular studying version should always be a Bible, in IMO, in my opinion, that is put together by a committee of people because wisdom is found in the council of many. And so when you translate a foreign language, it's not an easy task. There's complexities over which words to choose. So, uh, so always get a Bible like, like the NIV that's done by a committee. But there are Bibles that are done by specific people. People consider it their life work to do a translation of the Bible. In the early days, some of you may have... Uh, known J.B. Phillips, for example, who uh, did a translation. Uh, Eugene Peterson was another one. I'll read his in a moment. Uh, one of the more recent ones, a man who is known for intentionally choosing words that bring out God's passionate love and kindness. It's actually one of the criticisms he often has, but a guy called Brian Simmons in the Passion Bible. And so I thought, well, I'll have a look at what he says because he has a bent. Okay, and I know that going in. He has a bent. And he wants to show people how kind and loving God is. So surely he wouldn't use the word hate, right? So there are six evils God truly hates. <laughs> and a seventh that is an abomination to him. Putting others down while considering yourself superior. Spreading lies and rumours. Spilling the blood of the innocent. Plotting evil in your heart towards another, gloating over doing what's plainly wrong, spouting lies and false testimony, and stirring up strife between friends. And as he is wont to do, he adds a little bit, these are entirely despicable to God. How do I get the word despicable in there? Eugene Peterson also has a reputation for bringing out the kind-hearted nature of God. Surely he would choose words that would be soft in this occasion. Well, he puts it this way in the message, Proverbs 6.16. There are six things God hates. And one more that he loathes with a passion. Eyes that are arrogant, a tongue that lies, hands that murder the innocent, a heart that hatches evil plots, feet that race down a wicked track, a mouth that lies under oath and a troublemaker in the family. These are a few of my most hated things. I just thought of that. That's funny. Yeah, that's actually funny. I should have put that in my notes. That's, that's really good. The word hate appears over 200 times or some 200 times in our Bible, Old and New Testaments. So I'm interested to know what kind of feelings it conjures in you. In fact, I'm saying the word hate. Does it sort of stir maybe a bit of anger? A bit of get you a bit heated? Does it make you nervous? Make you a bit anxious, maybe a bit wary, a bit uncomfortable? Where's Chad going today? Do you think of terms we often hear in the media now like 
hate crime, hate group, hate speech? Or do you just think about your preferred pizza and how you hate pineapple or hate anchovies or hate rocket, okay? As some of you know, I'm not really a cat person. Um, oh, I'm going to be winning friends today, don't you worry. And uh, it's not my fault, I'm allergic to cats, so it's not, it's not really my fault. But in the 90s, I became a bit of a fan of a calendar. Some of you might remember a cartoon series that came out called I Hate Cats, okay? And, uh, no, come on, uh, here's, here's some of the... Uh, some of the I hate cats sort of, uh, <laughs> sort of imagery. What else do we have here? Uh, dress up as a deer. Yeah, okay. Hunting season. Got it. Okay, next one. A piñata. Yeah. Oh, come on. Uh, photocopier. There you go. There's a, uh, we'll get biblical now. We'll get biblical. Here's Noah. Uh, I just needed to lift the mood a little bit. Uh, I actually grew up in a family where we were discouraged to use the word hate. Um, seen as a little bit, of, a bit harsh, a bit uncouth, maybe. Now, Chad, you don't really hate anything, do you? You don't really. We don't say that. You don't really hate anything. Maybe it was a bit like the word fart. We weren't allowed to say that either. We had to say pop off because it was a little bit nicer, you know. So maybe it was a bit like that. You just don't use the word Hey, hi visitors, how are you doing? Nice to have you today again. Uh, yet it is here in our Bible some 200 times and here in Proverbs we are told that the Lord hates certain things and just to alleviate any doubt, the word there for Lord is the word Yahweh. It's God's name. It's our Lord, not just God like, you know, the deities. No, no, our Lord, Yahweh, the God of all gods. He hates certain things. You might think, well, Chad, let's not draw conclusions. You teach us this after all. Don't just draw theological conclusions from one verse. Okay, In the presence of two or three witnesses, establish something. Let's not develop a new theology as a church about, uh, you know, Mao's not going to choose the song. <laughs> we sung this morning, you were a lover. We're not going to change the lyrics to that, are we? On the basis of one verse. Well, Romans 9 says this. Romans 9.13, New Testament verse. As it is written... Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Someone wrote to me this week about Romans 9. It's a bit of a tricky, tricky kind of passage. Imagine being Esau. For God so loved the world and hated Esau. I'll just single you out as the one that God hated. What was it about Esau, I wonder, that um, would... Paul would go as far as quoting Malachi, because this is a Malachi 3 verse, and he would see that. What kind of virtues did Esau demonstrate? We may come back to that later. When the book of Hebrews introduces Jesus in chapter 1, it also quotes an Old Testament passage to talk about how awesome Jesus is. Chad, Old Testament, New Testament, Jesus is the perfect picture of what God is like. Show us Jesus. It's always the solution. Well, let's have a look. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. But about the Son, God says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and you have hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you, anointing you with the oil of joy. God made Jesus joyful, awarded him with the oil of joy, said, You're the one. Because you hate well. Maybe. Revelation, 
First few chapters, it's Jesus speaking, because you know that, because it's in red. And he says this to one of the churches, Laodicea. He says, but you have this in your favour. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which, by the way, I also, says Jesus, hate. Jesus here himself, in red, declaring that he hates something and commending other people for hating what he hates. Now, there's a number of reasons why some of us are feeling a bit nervous and we don't like that word. And one of the reasons is the Bible has a lot to say about hatred that is not painted in a good light at all. Absolutely. Leviticus, the most important command in the law, according to Jesus, says this. Leviticus 19.17, do not hate. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbour frankly so you're not sharing their guilt and don't seek revenge or bear a grudge against one among your own people but love your neighbour as yourself. Jesus referred to this, didn't he? This command to not hate but instead to love. Proverbs 10.12, the book of Proverbs says, Hatred stirs up conflict but love covers over wrongs. It's like hatred and love are counteropposed to each other. So don't hate, instead Love, what the world needs now, surely. 1 John 4.20, whoever claims to love God yet hates someone is a liar. You cannot love and hate at the same time, surely. Galatians, John 15, Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. Jesus obviously saying, "Those have hate, this is not good that people hate me. That's not a good thing. It's not good to hate. And yet, The Bible has a number of things to say where hate is painted in a good light, in a positive light, including the books of wisdom, the books that we are doing this series on. Let's start in the book of Psalms. 26 verse 5 says, I hate the assembly of evildoers and I will not sit with the wicked. Psalm 119, longest psalm in the Bible. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, because I understand your ways, I hate every wrong path. The book of Proverbs 13 verse 5, the righteous hate what is false, but the wicked make themselves a stench and bring shame on themselves. 8 verse 13, to fear the Lord is to hate. To fear the Lord is to hate the right thing, which is the wrong thing. (laughs) To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. And of course, Ecclesiastes, a verse that you'll Hear read at many funerals, sometimes even weddings, but certainly funerals. There is a time for everything. There is a time and a season for every activity under heaven. To be born, to die, to plant, uproot, to kill, to heal, to tear, to build, to weep, to laugh, to mourn, to dance, to scatter, to gather, to embrace and refrain, to search and give up. To keep and throw away, remember that some of you, to tear and to mend, to be silent and to speak, to love and to hate. There's a time for everything under the sun. And I want to propose to you this morning that like love, like love that binds them all together in perfect unity, the virtue of the virtue of hate, whoa, that's hard to say. The virtue of hate can be holy and can be harnessed into producing something that is helpful. 
If it's not harnessed well, it can hurt very much. But if it is harnessed properly, it can actually help and bring healing to people. Sermon's not complete without three points, so let's go. Get on familiar ground, Chad. Number one, hate can be holy. Hate can be holy. If God hates certain things, and if God is only ever holy, then it stands to reason that hate can be a holy thing. Now, we are probably more familiar with the term righteous anger. Okay. We wouldn't be so nervous this morning if I'd said, I want to talk about righteous indignation. We'd go, yeah. But holy hate? Not too sure. I have to listen to that opening again, see if I'm convinced. But, you know, when we read that list of seven things, six or seven things that God says he hates, it's only because he loves the counterpoints. It reveals what he is passionate for. If God hates haughty eyes, pride and arrogance, then it's only because God loves humility. God is passionate for humility and the blessing that that brings to the world. If God hates a lying tongue and a false witness, God hates deception, then it's because he loves honesty. He loves integrity. Of course, if you love honesty, you hate being... How many of you hate being lied to? How many of you go, well, I hate being lied to, but I even hate more when I see other people being lied to and them getting sucked into the set? I hate that. It's because you love truth. It's because you love honesty. If we hate hands that shed innocent blood, hate murder, it's because God loves life. God is pro-life. And so if God is pro-life, well, he hates Murder. If God hates wicked schemes and evil deeds, and it's an acknowledgement that evil exists and that God loves righteousness and holiness. He loves purity. He loves innocence. And so he hates it when innocence is taken away. If God hates those or the stirring up of conflict, it's only because God loves unity. God loves cohesiveness in a family, amongst friends, in a community. It only makes sense. It's only logical. If we love children, then we hate it when children are abused. It only stands to reason. If we love justice, then it only stands to reason that we hate injustice. We hate it when people use their power intentionally to tear others down. Hate it. That's okay. Because I love justice. If we love truth, then it stands to reason we hate deception, trickery, lies and falsehoods. And if we love God and if we understand we are built in his image, then it stands to reason that we love what he loves. And it stands to reason that we will hate what he hates. Hard to say, isn't it? Pop off. Hate is not in itself a bad thing. Hate can be holy. Point number two. Hate can be harnessed. It can be harnessed. Like love, hate, (laughs) 
I've had to practice this just to get the word out of my mouth, you know. God, my mother's not here. Like love, hate is both a passion and a choice. It is both an emotion and a decision. In itself, it's not bad, but it is powerful, and you better make sure you handle it properly. Like love, or at least like feelings of love, you better make sure you handle that properly or get yourself into trouble. Powerful things need to be handled with care. Well, hate's one of them. As an emotion, hate is a feeling of intense dislike, hostility, anger and aversion towards a thing. You all know what I'm talking about when I say that, an intensity of dislike. And as with all emotions, it, at times it's something that you cannot help but experience. You hear something, you see something, and you just feel it. I didn't choose it, I just felt it. Like that's the way emotions can work. The initial, sometimes initial feeling is sometimes an involuntary instinct within us. But as with all emotions, it is something that we can control. As with all emotions, it is something that we can harness to slow down and not let it control us. As a choice, hate is something that we can make a conscious decision in. We can actually make a conscious decision, emotional or not, to dislike something or to like something. That's good. I don't really feel anything towards it, but it makes sense to me. That's good. I like it. That's not good. I'm making a decision to be passionate about something, even if I don't instinctively feel towards it. At times we may hear of something. Initially, we are emotionally neutral. But the more we learn, the more we listen, the more we understand how God feels about it, we can decide to love a thing or we can decide to hate a thing. It can be an emotion. It can also be a choice. Now, I mentioned Esau earlier. Good morning, everyone. Do you want to see some more cartoons? All right, in the mood. No, no. No, no I love dog ones. Yes. Um, I mentioned Esau earlier. You think God so loved the world, he gave his only son, but Esau he hated. What, what's the deal with that? You know? uh, one of the things that you read the story of Esau in Genesis, it says that when he, he's the guy that sold his birthright for a pot of stew. I'm hungry. Oh, I can't do anything. I'm hungry. Give me food. You can have my birthright. And it says there in Genesis, he despised his birthright. Something that was incredibly important. The word in the Hebrew means he was careless. Didn't care. I don't care. I'm hungry. I don't care. He did not care about something that God really thought he should care about. He exercised indifference. Indifference towards something that was really important. And the book of Hebrews calls Esau godless. I wonder if we were to give a list of godless qualities today. Godlessness is, fill in the gap. How many of us would say indifference? Indifference, that's the quality that Esau demonstrated. The Jewish man from the Ukraine, I think, Romania, became an American writer, came over as an immigrant, his name is Eli Weasel, something like that, Wiesel, probably. And in 1999, he gave a speech to Congress and he spoke about his experiences in the Holocaust and he said this, the opposite of love, the opposite of love is not hate. 
opposite of love is indifference. The opposite of art is not ugliness, it's indifference. The opposite of faith is not heresy, it's indifference. And the opposite of life is not death, it's indifference. So says Eli Wiesel. The point is that hate can actually be the flip side of love. Not the opposite, but the flip side because it can show that you care. It can show you care. As an emotion and as a choice, the point is hate can be harnessed for something good. And so we finish on this. Hate can be holy. Hate can be harnessed. And it can be harnessed for something that is helpful. It can be harnessed for something helpful. Hate can be helpful. In the same way that poorly, poorly harnessed hate is hurtful, Oh, that's hurtful. So well-harnessed hate can be helpful. Acting on our passions like love in a bad way can be disastrous. Feeling of love, well, that can end to disaster if you don't harness that power properly and it can hurt people. I've seen it many times. In the same way, harnessing hate poorly can lead to absolute disaster. But it can lead to something that is helpful. When Jesus walked into the temple... And he saw the money changers in the Gentile court and the people selling doves and pigeons and had their tables. It said zeal for the father's house consumed him. Jesus loved his father's house. And so he hated what was happening. What motivated him to sit there and make a whip? It might have taken him hours to do it. We don't know. He wasn't a reactionary. He didn't act on the emotion. No, he sat down and he made a whip. He thought about it really a lot. One strand, two strand, piece of bone. Third strand, piece of glass. Fourth strand, put oh, I'm just making a whip. Come back an hour later, what are you doing? I'm just making a whip. It wasn't a reaction. Jesus knew what he was doing. Was it love that drove him to kick over tables? Was it hate? Or is the answer yes? Is the answer just yes? Hate can be helpful in that it can inspire you to act, to find a solution to a problem that is bothering you, something that you care about. And this is where the practical wisdom comes in. Chad, this series is about practical wisdom in Proverbs. Get practical. Well, here's where it can be practical. It can inspire you to act. A few years ago, and I finished with this a few years ago, I was at a conference and I didn't like being there. One might even say I was hating it. No, no, hating it. <laughs> and one of the things that was frustrating me is because people were taking something I really loved and they weren't handling it well. They were making it dull. They were twisting it in a way that I really did not like. And it wasn't a one-off. It was something that was wearing me down because I'd seen it again and again and again and I had this... I was agitated. I was hating it. Some of you... I hope that's not you this morning, but some of you know uh, what that is like. And I was getting really agitated. There was a point where the speaker actually read a scripture and then 
drew a conclusion and asked everyone to stand up on the basis of that conclusion. And in a room of 500 people, I think I was the only one sitting down. I was like, I know what you're doing, that's wrong. I hate that you're doing that to my Bible. In one of the next sessions, a prophetic man got up and he was talking about an Old Testament prophet. And he was talking about this prophet's complaint. A lot of the prophets just are emotional. Okay, so they're going, oh God, they're having a big whinge, right? And he says, your complaint can often show you what your calling is. Because the things that you hate, there's sometimes a reason that the things that you hate, the things you find yourself complaining about, is because you are called to provide a solution in that area. And it's interesting, you know, if you were to ask me, Chad, do you love clear Bible teaching? I'd say, yeah. But if you were to say, Chad, do you hate it when people cloud the Scriptures and make it confusing? I'd say, you damn right I do. <laughs> I definitely hate that. Chad, do you love engaging preaching? Yeah. There's other things I could do as well, whatever. You know? I love engaging football. I love engaging. There's a lot of engaging things I like. So, do, do I, would I, if you were to give me a list of the top ten things Chad loves, would he put engaging, listening to engaging preaching on there? I don't know. Maybe. But if you were to say, Chad, do you hate it when people take God's word and dull it down and make it boring and irrelevant? And and I'll go, yeah, that really, I that bugs me. I'd hate to think that my ministry is based on hate, but I think you're trying to get a picture here. Sometimes the things that bother us is because actually that's our calling. And that was one of those rare days where, I don't know if you've ever been like this, probably not today, but where you've been sitting there listening to a preacher and you just want to stand up on your feet and go, yes! That was almost one of those days for me. The day before, I was the only one sitting that day when he said, your complaint can often highlight your calling. It suddenly made sense to me because at the end of the day it's the same thing it shows I care deeply about something what do I love well, let me ask you what do you hate that might give you the same answer to something of God's calling in your life now I understand that this might be something of a difficult subject matter today some of you can't get over the fact I said fart but <laughs> you may have even hated this morning and I'm certainly not hoping that the word hate becomes part of our common church culture Bayside church love truth and life nah hate truth and life no we're not going to do that we're not going to do that I guess what I'm wanting to say is that the next time you sense or feel a hatred or a disdain towards a particular thing, just be open to the possibility that that hate may be holy. That hate might be holy and that hate, that sense may be God's way of saying, listen, I want you to harness this to produce something helpful. Mao was saying before, prophetically, today might be a new day where God's birthing something and saying for you, there's something you've been thinking about, go for it. And maybe in the midst of singing a song about love, it didn't occur to you what that might be. Maybe hearing a message about hate makes you think, yeah, that thing's been bothering me for a while. I'm going to do something about it now.
I'm going to harness that thing because doing life well is about becoming like Christ. And one of the seldom spoken of virtues of Jesus is this thing where he says, ah, there are certain things that I just really, really, really strongly pop off dislike. There are things that I really, I really hate. And as someone who wants to be like Jesus, sometimes it's just a choice to say, Lord, the more I get to know you, the more I choose to love what you love, to prioritise what you prioritise. And the more I get to know you, I'll also choose to hate what you hate. So please help me to understand what those things are. Let's take a moment to allow the Holy Spirit maybe to highlight something to you today that you can possibly practically put into play this week if you can get past the nervousness of that harsh word. Holy Spirit, as we sit and listen to your voice now, I'm going to ask, is there something that I'm feeling deeply about that this morning you are calling me to harness that feeling into positive action. Today's the day where I go, yeah, I'm actually going to do something about that now. We submit our hearts to you and we call out for your wisdom on how to move that forward, that we would be helpful with the things that we feel and not harmful with them and certainly not indifferent. Share your heart with us, Lord. I want to love what you love and even I want to learn to hate what you hate. Amen. You know, one of the things that God loves and one of the things that he therefore hates is relationships. Relationship. The most important relationship you can have is a relationship with God because it's the only relationship in essence that will last forever and that will guarantee and eternal life. Heaven is God's home. We sung about heaven earlier. Well, we can only go to the home and stay in the home of someone that we know and that loves us and that we love them. You know, God has an eternal place for us, for those with whom he is in right relationship. And that seventh thing in that list was about disunity in relationship. Well, I tell you what I, I know God hates is when the people that he loves don't know him or have a bad perception of who he is. And today, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know the God that we've been singing love songs about, you can know him. I want you to know that despite my subject matter today, first time in 19 years, overwhelmingly, the reason we can say God hates is because he is so full of love. He hates evil because he is such a loving, righteous and holy God. And he wants you to know him. He wants you to know him in unhindered reality. And you can do that today. You can come into a relationship with him by acknowledging him. We call it the ABCs of knowing God, really. A, acknowledge him. B, believe that he is who he says he is. He is the eternal God, Saviour and Lord. Believe that he wants to know you. And C, cooperate with him. One of the first things you can do to cooperate in a relationship with him is just confess. Say with your own mouth, Jesus is the boss. And Jesus is the one who saves me from sin so that I can know a holy God. If you would do that today, like most of us in this room, most of us watching today, you can begin a relationship with him. And that relationship will guarantee you eternal life, knowing him forever 
It is a great journey of joy and we'd love to invite you on that journey. If that's you today, just while you're looking at me, there's not many people here and many of us here have done this. But if you say, actually, Chad, I'd love to do that today. I'd love to start a relationship with God. Some of what you've said makes sense, some of it doesn't. But I'm here, I'm interested, I want to know more. I think I want to take that next step today. Can you just let me know and I'll come up and pray with you later. Just put your hand up. I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au and of course if you're ever in the area please pop in and say good day.